some things in life are optional, like putting on shoes in the morning. But other things in life are not optional, like eating, drinking water, and breathing. Today on Insight for Living, Chuck Swindoll reminds us that serving God is optional. We don't have to use our gifts to serve Him. But choosing to sit on the sidelines means we're missing out on the pleasure and reward. So what spiritual gift has God bestowed on you? Our study is based on the parable of the talents, a story Jesus told in Matthew 25. Chuck titled today's message, What is my response to God's blessings? I want to talk with you for a while about something that is optional. And by that I don't mean it's not important, I just mean it's, in all honesty, optional. You don't have to do this. But if you don't do it, there are terrible consequences that are not optional. Doing this will result in tremendous benefits now and rewards later. Not doing this will result in serious consequences in your Christian walk. I have in mind responding positively to the blessings of God. Now, the wonderful thing about God is that He gives you His blessings whether you respond well or not. That's called grace. But to go full circle in this blessing arrangement that God has set up means that you take them and respond correctly, positively to them. As I think about the blessings of God, three or four thoughts come to my mind as we get underway. Number one, God's blessings are numerous and varied. They come to God's children in abundance, and they come in all different shapes and sizes, different times of the day, different ages and stages of our lives. God's blessings are numerous, and God's blessings are varied. Number two, God's blessings are beyond what we deserve. That means every time God pours out His blessings upon us, we're getting what he wants us to have, never what we really ought to be receiving. His blessings come to us beyond what we deserve. This puts all of them under the heading of grace and mercy, doesn't it? And the third thought I have on blessings is that God's blessings are poured out on the just as well as the unjust. You may remember the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, I quote, he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. His blessings are poured out on the just as well as the unjust. That's very important. He gives his mercy. He gives his blessings. But the problem is the response of the unjust is not as it should be. That's where we come into the picture, helping them know how to interpret the blessings. Now the fourth, God's blessings have a purpose. And that's what we talked about earlier. The purpose of God's blessings are clear. That other people might learn 
of this God of grace and mercy. That's the purpose for the just. The purpose for the unjust is that they might see this God of mercy and God of grace and turn to him by faith in his son. Now, both of these things are brought into focus in Matthew chapter 25. And I want you to turn there with me. As we turn to Matthew 25, we have to forget we're living in the 20th century and we have to step in the time tunnel and go back 19 centuries. And we have to put ourselves in the sandals of his followers who listened to him talk about times when his death was imminent. They are about to lose the presence of the Savior. And he is readying them for that epical change in their lives. That's the the thrust of these uh, things he has to say in Matthew chapters 24 and 25. Now, the method of communication he uses is storytelling. I think one of the most profound methods of communication to this day is the telling of a story. It's Jesus' favorite method. It's called in, in that day a parable. It's a simple, wonderful story. But the basis of it is really um, uh, verse 13 of Matthew 25. It is his desire to get them on the alert. See 13 of 25? Be on the alert. For you do not know the day nor the hour. What day? What hour? The day or the hour I'm coming back. Now men, I'm leaving. That's a foregone conclusion. But don't, don't lay back. Get ready. Could happen any time. You don't know the day or the hour. Go back a half a page to chapter 24, verse 42. You'll see it again. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. Verse 44. For this reason, you be ready too. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Now, in light of that urgent command, with the reason following it, you don't know the hour or the day, he tells them a story. It's an imaginary story that falls neatly into four parts. Let's look at it together. First, the story has to do with um, the provisions and the departure of this man. It is, it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. Um, Aside from the man who is leaving and the slaves who are staying, the only significant part of verse uh, 14 and verse 15 would be his possessions, which he entrusts to the men who stay. He entrusts his possessions to them. What are the possessions? Well, they are called talents in verse 15. This is hard, cold cash. 
In fact, he refers to the, to the talents uh, as money a little later on. Verse 27, you ought to have put my money in the bank. Second thing that stands out is the response and the report. Keep reading the story with me. The man goes on his journey. Immediately, the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. So he doubled his money. Whatever he invested in paid off. And it paid off rather quickly, I take it, because he had those five talents waiting. Ultimately, he, he made five. Verse 17, in the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But the one who received the one talent, notice his response. He went away and dug in the ground and hid the master's money. So there was no attempt to invest, no attempt to put it to use. He simply buried it and left it, waiting for the master's return. Now, uh, verse 19, the day of reckoning occurs. The master returns to talk about what they did with the money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Report number one is in verse 20. The one who had received five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. Forget the response. We'll get that in a moment. The second report is in verse 22. The one who had received two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted to me two talents. See, I have gained two more talents. And then verse 24 and verse 25, the third report. The one who had received the one talent came up and he said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground See, let's call it even. What you gave me is what you've got in return. What you have, or you have what is yours. Now the reaction. Go back up to verse 21. After the first report, the master responds directly. Well done, good and faithful slave, you were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. We're left to our imagination as to what that would be. But there were benefits that came as a result of the man's investment. And he says, well done. Now, I was even more uh, impressed with the second response. And I'll tell you why as soon as I've read it. Look at verse, uh, verse uh, 23. 
Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. It's not often that you will read in the scriptures an identical verse. But there is not one syllable of difference between verse uh, 21 and 23 in the response of the master. Not a syllable difference in English or in Greek. It's identical. The reason I was impressed with that is because we frequently think in terms of a person who is five talented as just having it made, but a person with two talents uh, is kind of, kind of average, kind of basic, mediocre. But you will observe the master's response to those first two men as far as investment is concerned is identical. You know why? Because the return was identical. Both doubled it. The five got five more. The two got two more. You see, they were both given those things according to his own ability. Verse 15. That's very significant. We'll come back to it in a moment. But to the third slave, there is a strong rebuke. He looks sternly, I would imagine, at this slave, verse 26, and he says, you wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank. And on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. That is strong. We'll analyze it a little closer in a minute. But look at the principle and final rebuke. Look at the principle. That's verse, verse 29. To everyone who has shall more be given, and he shall have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. The general principle of this parable, in my opinion, is God's blessings call for a response. God may shower his blessings and he may give them in abundance and they may come in varied sizes and shapes and packages and they may appear to be indiscriminate in their dis distribution. But God never entrusts uh, his benefits without an expectation of return. Never. There is a bite there is a catch, if you please. There is a hook in the plan. The right response results in ultimate rewards. The wrong response results in consequences. By the way, verse 30 is scary. All along I have believed that the slaves were all believers. But you know they're not. 
Verse 30 makes it clear, and these words are reserved only for the lost, the eternally lost. You cannot make verse 30 apply to a Christian. And cast out the worthless slave, that's slave number three, into the outer darkness in that place there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You will not read those words except as they relate to those eternally lost and spending an, um, an awesome, awful eternity in hell. I take the third slave, therefore, to be a representative of someone who hears the message of salvation and thereby is blessed of God with the good news, but he rejects it. He doesn't cash in on it. He doesn't respond correctly to the call. He doesn't respond to the message of hope. He turns it off. He, in the words of, these, of this story, he buries it. Later. Later. And that's the slave who spends eternity in hell. Now, how does all this relate to me? Thought you'd never ask. You've been sitting there patiently waiting for the story to run its obvious course. But you and I want to know, how does this relate to me? And I want you to know it relates in direct ways, at least four. First of all, there are no special categories of slaves. It's terribly important that you understand this. Verse 14, the man called his slaves. If I may have a little satire here, uh, uh, there are, there are no such things as, as um, super slaves or, or um, vocational Christian service slaves or lay slaves, clergy slaves, hot dog slaves, starting lineup slaves, bench warming slaves. Well, there are slaves, just ordinary people, just slaves. Where, whenever and wherever the rank got set up did us no service. Unfortunately, we believe that. To such an extent, believe me, to such an extent that the missionary is in a category of slaves all by herself or all by himself. Super-duper category. Sacrificial slave. Especially dedicated slave. How unfortunate. Remember, his son uh, and his reign will go upon the just as well as the unjust. Slaves get the blessings of God. The only real difference is those who respond correctly. There's no special category of slaves. The second, no slave is taken advantage of. That's verse 15. To one he gave five, to another two, to another one according to his own ability. In fact, it says each according to his own ability. I've worked that over like a dog with a bone. I have, I have gnawed on that for the longest time. And you know what? I see this as a great relief of frustration and guilt. In the Christian ranks, there are some five-talent believers, aren't there? I made a list. 
not of names, but of talents. In the sense that we use the word talent. Some are able to preach, to sing, to evangelize with effectiveness. On top of that, they can pilot airplanes, they can give large sums of money, they have vast vision, they can motivate others, they can start schools, they dream creative dreams, they can write books, they can found churches, and they are healthy as a young rhinoceros. They've got, they've got it made, they've got five, they've got 50 talents if you want to pour it out by the numbers. It seems like they're unlimited. And when you're around them, you feel like a slob. You feel like you're not operating with a full elevator shaft. You just go up to the third floor, and those people are in the penthouse. But that's not the way God does it. God says, according to this story, that the master gives each one according to his own ability. There are a few people he can trust with that amount, and they handle it. There are others of us that are very limited. We've got two, three, five abilities, and we're doing good to pull them off. But it's according to our ability. You give uh, Vince Ferragamo a football, and you've given him something according to his ability. But I was sitting in this church service this morning, and I tried to picture Vince Ferragamo at the harp. And that's not according to his ability. We don't want Ferragamo to play the harp for us, more than likely. As sure as the world is going to turn out, he plays great harp. But I don't, I don't think he does. If you do, Vince, I apologize. But I doubt that you do. He plays great football, and he can handle it very well. It's according to his ability. God knows you. God scopes you out. He sees you better than you see yourself. And he lays on you what you can handle. It's your ability, his blessing. They fit together like teeth and gears. Perfect. The match is there. He doesn't take advantage of you. Some of you can handle a great deal. Others of you can handle only a little bit. Many can handle a moderate amount. And he gives you what you can respond to. He doesn't mock you saying, aha, I gave you all of that and you aren't able to do what I expected of you. No, 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 no. It's not that kind of thing. There's not a mockery in God's part. If you're a one talent, you got one. And he won't mock you by giving you four. And if you're a four talent, he won't hold you back by just granting you one. He knows what you can do. And it's up and down the scale through your Christian life, by the way. You notice that? It's according to your own ability. He's fair. It's hard to imagine a football player strumming a harp. When God assigns us to a task, He also equips us with the skills needed to be successful. You're listening to Insight for Living and a message from Chuck Swindoll titled, What is My Response to God's Blessings? For resources, go online to insightworld.org. Today's sermon is about managing God's blessing. But how do we respond when life delivers disappointment? Or how do we respond when we're the victim of loss or betrayal? Well, please stay with us to hear Chuck's closing comments. First, though, we want to express our sincere thanks to our monthly companions. If you're listening to Chuck teach today and you've never stepped forward to make a donation— 
you're actually the recipient of generosity from a complete stranger. A monthly companion agrees to give, as the name implies, every month. A monthly companion is responding to God's blessing by investing back into this ministry. You're invited to become a monthly companion today. The process is quick and simple, but the impact through your monthly recurring gift is profound. If you're listening in the United States, call 1-800-772-8888 or online go to insight.org slash monthly companion. Most of us are fairly good at celebrating milestones, whether it's a promotion, a graduation, or the birth of a child. We know how to come alongside those we love and revel in their joy. However, when someone we love becomes the victim of suffering and loss, we often don't know what we ought to say. Frankly, we feel awkward when in the private spaces of those who grieve. Well, while some may shrink back from involving themselves in those sacred appointments, they are really missing out on one of the great blessings that God has for us. If you need any proof, just open your Bible to the book of Psalms. From start to finish, we read about the intimate encounters between disillusioned people and their loving, compassionate God. Insight for Living's pastor to the United Kingdom, Dr. Terry Boyle, has written a new book. It's called The Way of Lament, a biblical approach to God in times of pain. I highly recommend his book to you. Whether consoling those you love or finding ways to express your own personal angst to God, you'll find biblical wisdom and great insight in Terry's book, The Way of Lament. To get a copy of the book, The Way of Lament, contact Insight for Living today. It's available when you give a donation of any amount. And please don't let the size of your donation become a barrier to requesting Terry Boyle's book. Your contribution, large or small, truly makes a difference. Chuck's teaching on this station is made possible as all of us draw together toward a common goal, to share God's blessing as far and wide as possible. So go online to insight.org. Or in the United States, you can call 1-800-772-8888. Again, the book is called The Way of Lament. And it's yours when you give a donation of any amount. Online, go to insight.org. Tomorrow, Chuck Swindoll concludes the message, What is my response to God's blessings? Listen Wednesday to Insight for Living. The preceding message, What is My Response to God's Blessings, was copyrighted in 1984 and the sound recording was copyrighted in 2013 by Charles R. Swindoll, Inc. All rights are reserved worldwide.